Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Scripture reading today is from Numbers 11, verses 4 to 6, and verses 10 to 17. The rabble with them began to crave other food, and again the Israelites started wailing and said, If only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. Moses heard the people of every family wailing at the entrance to their tents. The Lord became exceedingly angry, and Moses was troubled. He asked the Lord, Why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? Did I conceive all these people? Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promise on oath to their ancestors? Where can I get meat for all these people? They keep wailing to me, give us meat to eat. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you are going to treat me, please go ahead and kill me. If I have found favor in your eyes, and do not let me face my own ruin. The Lord said to Moses, Bring me seventy of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put them on them. They will share the burden of the people with you, so that you will not have to carry it alone. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Tracy. Good morning, and welcome once again to Redeemer LSQ. Thank you again for filling out that survey. I do believe it, we, we, it was actually a test. We were finding out who really wants to be here. If you filled out all 44, you win. Um, just kidding. We've been going through a little mini-series looking at uh, individuals in the, in the Bible who are discouraged, who are in a state of despair, who are downcast, who are discontented. And we're doing that because, I believe, I think it's true, that it's often when we're at our lowest point, when things are bad, we both, we both find out more about ourselves, who we are, what we're made of, and who God is. And today, we're looking at Moses, who was an amazing leader. Moses, we're told, actually just one chapter from this text, in chapter 12, verse 3, we're told this about Moses. Moses was a humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. That's pretty high praise. And then a couple of verses after that, in verse 8, I think, it says, 
that Moses talked with God. And so Moses is a great leader. Here's somebody who's humble, but knows a lot, talks with God, works things through with him. And yet, just because he's close with God doesn't mean he doesn't get discouraged. And so we have to ask ourselves today, we must explore then, what's the core of his discouragement? What's, the, what's, the, what's at the essence of it? What's at the center of it? Because that's important for us here today. And remember, we've been saying this every week. We're not talking about clinical depression. We're not talking about medical anxiety. If, those, if you struggle with those, we, we highly recommend seeking professional help. We're talking about everyday discouragement, everyday despair, the stuff of life that we all go through. And we need to ask, what's at the center of that? And we're going to look at it today in three parts. We're going to look at the ingredients of complaint. We're going to look at the core of discontentment. And then we're going to look at the care that heals. Okay? I'll say it again. It's the ingredients of complaint, the core of discontentment, and the care that heals. So first, the ingredients of complaint. Moses complains here. And this, by the way, this is not like what we see in the Psalms or other various laments where we're encouraged to come to God with our uh, injury as a, a means of expressing our faith. No, this complaint is the embodiment of discontentment, and I'm going to prove it to you, but through the ingredients, the components found in the text. I see three. There's three revealing components and ingredients. Let's go through them. Number one, blindness. I don't know if, if you saw this. If you read it just once, you have to kind of read it a couple times. But What's interesting here, and almost ironic, is that in verse 4, the, the, the people are wailing, it says. They're wailing. And then, they're, they're, sorry, they're wailing because they believe the root of their problem is the fact that they, don't, that they have manna. They don't have meat. They want meat. And so, but then Moses, almost immediately, a few verses later, turns around and does the very same thing to God. That they, he does to God what they did to him. Kind of reminds me of the, you know, you've, you've been in the situation, right, where you're talking with somebody, and, and they're like, this person's so annoying. And they're actually kind of annoying, and you're kind of like, oh, okay, don't really see yourself. You're kind of blind to the fact that you're actually the very thing that you say that they are. And so the first feature of, a, of an improper, grumbling, complaining spirit is a blindness. It's an unawareness, number one. Number two. There's a self-focusedness. There's a, there's a self-pitying aspect to it. Uh, a good definition of self-pity is it's a, sort of, it's, it's a combination of blaming others and then unable to get outside of yourself, focusing on yourself. And let's just walk through. I'll just walk through it with you uh, with what Moses says. Look, number, no, look at verse 11. It says that he asked the Lord, why have you brought this trouble on your servant? What have I done to displease you that you put the burden of all these people on me? I was to keep going. Um, uh, you know, why do you tell me to carry them in my arms to the land that you promised? Look at verse 13. When, where can I get the meat? They keep wailing to me. Verse 14. I cannot carry. It's too heavy to me. Verse 15. How... If this is how you're going to treat me, I mean, I, I, hopefully you're seeing the pattern here. The pattern starts with first kind of accusations. It says, you, your, 
This is your problem. Blaming God. You've done this. Then he goes after the Israelites and distances himself from those people and says, no, they, them, these people. And then lastly, he focuses on himself. He says, I, me, myself. There are so many self-pitying statements. It's, it's kind of a dizzying array. We, we don't have time to go into it. But it's like rapid fire, verbal vomit that reveals that the heart of his complaint is this, this self-focus, this self-pitying. So there's two ingredients, right? Blindness, self-pity. Thirdly, let's call it naivete. He's naive. And I think you can just tell this from the, based on his statements, you kind of need to start saying, wait a second, does he think that being a leader means that people will always want to follow him? Does he think that because he's the leader of of the Israelites, that people won't grumble and, and push back on his leadership and spin what he's saying and take the worst version of what he is and throw it back on him? Does he think that people won't assume the worst of him at all times? I think he did. I think he thought that. And here's what's so fascinating, is that if you go back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 11, when God gives out this job to Moses, this is what Moses says. He says, who am I that I should bring the Israelites out of Egypt? In other words, he's saying, I don't know if I can do this job. And what does God say to him? He says, the answer is, I will be with you. And then, of course, Moses keeps saying, you know, I don't know. So Exodus 4, God says again, go lead my people. I will help you speak. I will give you a staff. I'll give you miracles. And so I think this is what's happening. Is Moses is under the assumption of, oh my gosh, I got God with me. He's going to speak on my behalf. I got miracles. I got the staff. Of course the people are going to follow me. And I think many of us make that same assumption as well. I think there's an assumption among people, me included, that we think if God's with me, it must mean that bad things won't happen to me. That I, 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 this is a true story. I remember a friend, she became a Christian later in life. And uh, she remembers just, the, you know, people who become Christians as adults, it's, I, it's lovely because the experience, they, there's this sort of this newness of life. They go, I feel God's presence. I know he's close to me. I, 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 I know he's with me. And she used to say, and that's why I know nothing bad can ever really ever happen to me now. And I was always like, oh, that's not how it works. Jesus Christ was the person who was the closest to God, knew God the best, was the most intimate with God, and his life didn't go great. And so there's, there's no promise, I, I promise you, there's no promise in the Bible that will ever say that. Just because God is with you doesn't mean people won't be against you. I think that's hard for us to, to think about. And so now back up for a second. Here's, let me, let's go through the ingredients again. Potentially, the root of our discouragement might be, A, that we're blind to the real root of the problem, like Moses. B, we're so self-focused, we're, our statements are so centered on ourselves, we can't get beyond our own hurt and heartache. Or C, we wrongfully assume that the presence of God means the absence of pain. And that, that, those, that's, that's the ingredients of, of, of our complaint. And that, but let's... Let's make it individual. Let's, let's internalize this. When you're discouraged, is it possible you're discouraged because either one, that you tend to focus on the actions or inactions of other people? Do you tend to always say, well, the problem is those people over there? It's possible you're blind. 
Or when you complain, is it possible that you tend to focus on only your needs and your wants and that your, your list tends to just be a, a, a self-pitying wish list? You might be overly self-focused there. Or thirdly, if we're befuddled, why? Why is my life? I'm close to God. I'm a Christian. I, I, I believe in God. Why is my life still this way? It's possible we really don't understand what it means to have God with us, just like Moses. And so ask yourself, do you have these ingredients in your life? If you have some or others, where are they? Because that's the makeup of our complaint, number one. Number two, the core of our discouragement. Now, those are the ingredients, but I would argue that the core of it doesn't happen. This isn't just a one-off situation. There has been a long process. The core of most of our discontentment is a series of everyday events that slowly lead up to this. And so for the Israelites, go to the Israelites. For them, it's food. This is, this is the, it's just kind of funny, but it's always like a simple thing. It's always like a basic thing that they've made this the thing for them. And what ends up happening is they've taken a trivial thing and made it an ultimate thing. The Israelites have been in the wilderness. They've been walking around for a long time, and they've been eating manna. Manna came down from heaven every night. You couldn't save it or else it would rot. And they were therefore completely dependent on it. I don't know if this is a little Bible trivia. Uh, the Hebrew word for manna literally translates, what is it? It kind of, it reminds me of like, you know, you go to a, somebody's home maybe. They make a nice meal for you. Everything's great. The food gets laid out. And maybe they have a child that, that is in the house. And so there's beautiful, wonderful foods put there. And the kid squinches up his nose and goes, what is it? That's, that's what the Israelites were, were basically saying. What is this stuff? Because what they were saying with their wailing in verse 4 is that they were craving other food. It didn't matter. Here's what's so crazy. It didn't matter this food was miraculous. It didn't matter that they would have starved many times over if they hadn't had this miraculous manna. No, to these people, they have decided that this is the actual issue. And I think this is, this is not a small point here. You know how many miracles these people have seen? These people have seen 10 miracles in a row, the plagues that happened in Egypt. They've seen the waters part. They've walked through it. They've had manna from heaven, and it didn't matter. It didn't matter how many miracles they actually saw at all that this actually happened. That it's possible, and this is true, there's a lot of people out there that say, you know what, I, I would be different if I could just see a miracle. My, maybe the, the core of my discontentment wouldn't actually happen. That's not true. Anybody that says, you know what, I would believe in Christianity if I could just see a miracle, take him to this passage because what you see over and over and over again in the Bible is you see talking angels, empty tombs, walking on water, the parting of the Red Sea. People saw that with their own eyes, and it didn't lead to change. It didn't change from their discouragement. It didn't change from their, their disheartening nature. And therefore, it can't stop, it won't stop your discontentment. I, let, let me go, let's make it more personal. I bet you, every single one of us have had miracles happen in our lives that we've, we've forgotten. If we sat down and talked about the miracle of your life, that who you are and how you've made and how you've overcome so, you know, the odds to be where you are and who, who you've become, despite of all the things that happened to you, I bet you we could walk through those things and we've forgotten them. And they don't change us. They don't move us. Because I think our forgetfulness 
proves that miracles won't be enough. Because the issue, the core of discontentment is not on the surface. It's deeper. And I think for them, look at verse 5. In verse 5 it says, We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, garlic. And we have to stop right here because this little phrase, we remember all this fish. It was amazing. No cost. We have to look at this because in that one little phrase, two things are happening. They're misremembering the past and they're wrongfully hoping in, in a, in a, they're, they're hoping in, the, in a wrong future. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or Join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com YouTube. Let's look at both those, those concepts. First, and scholars point this out. I had to look this up. The diet of Israelites actually did have more meat than the Egyptians because they were shepherds. So they probably ate a lot of meat in their life. They used to, at least. Of course, when they're wandering in the desert— can't bring your, your, uh, your cattle, your sheep, your goats. And so they probably did have meat and cucumbers and garlic. Those things could actually grow in the Nile Basin. But when they say at no cost, maybe the Egyptians were giving it to them because they needed to fatten them up. They needed to have strength because they were enslaved. So when they say it's no, at no cost, it's like, sure, no cost, except for like your bodies. And what's happening is, uh, they're just forgetting this. Somebody, somebody told me once that if somebody's giving you something for free for you to use, it means you're the product. So maybe it was technically not at no cost that they got it, but it, what was it at the cost? They were having selective memory. They were remembering the good food. They were not remembering the enslavement. They were remembering the leeks, not the killing of innocent children. They were remembering the melons and not the whippings. They were remembering the garlic, but not the lack of freedom. See, did you guys forget about the making bricks with with no straw? Did you forget about, you know, every woman, male, female, child, everybody? No breaks, no vacation. That's misremembering the past. But look, also, they are also hoping in the wrong future. I think they thought this desire for meat, this garlic, this cucumbers, there's an assumption in that statement that is this. If I just had that, then my life would be okay. They might have been so hungry. They're like, you know what? If I could just have this one thing, my life would be complete. In verse 6, where it says we've lost our appetites, it's not the best translation. It actually is our soul withers. That means this is not just a physical thing. They've made this a spiritual issue to themselves. Our soul withers because we need to have that thing right now. And I think you hold those two concepts together. This is the core of discontentment. These people weren't satisfied with miracles. You're not satisfied really with miracles. You wouldn't be if you saw them and you have and you've forgotten them. But part of the core of discontentment is they're misremembering the past. Where have you 
looked back to the past and said, you know what, if my life had just gone right there, things would be different. Where have you looked back and said, you know, if that person over there didn't harm me, I, would, I wouldn't be where I am at now. Where have you pointed to the past, to someone or something, and said, you know what, if I had just made that career path difference, if I had just married that person, if I had not married that person, if I had married that other person, where have we done that? Because I think we, this is what we assume. We assume if we, this, this is actually the perfect way to go through your life, to always go from one narrative to another, to think if I just had that thing, then my life would be different. That's a perfect way to always ignore who you are and being present in the moment now and going forward. This is why, by the way, advertisements are brilliant. Because what does advertisements do? It's a billion-dollar industry telling you if you just had this thing that you longed for in the past, if you had it now, then your life would be different. And we spend everything for that. But that's the past. How about the future? Because you can hope in the wrong future. These people believed a good meal, some good meat, a good, solid breakfast, lunch, and dinner would change me. I'm positive if they got that, and by the way, they did. Later on in the chapter, they got that. They found something else to grumble about. In other words, they had a wrongful hope in the future. Because this is what always happens. Whatever you think you need to complete your life, I promise you, whatever it is, when you got it, when you get it, if you get it, it won't be enough. There's actually a psychological term for this. It's called the, the tolerance effect. It's usually talked about in refer, referring to drugs. But a drug addict can't keep taking the same amount of drugs to get the same hit, the same effect. That your body gets used to it. And so you have to either have more of it or you have to go on to something else to get that same level of contentment. And that's, sure, that's what happens in drugs. But this is what happens in every other thing. That it, we're trying to get that same level of satisfaction and it won't come. And so we have to ask yourself, what is the thing that we're looking to to bring us happiness now that it can't tomorrow? What is the thing that is, might be enough today, but it's never enough tomorrow? That's true for everything else in life. And here's the sign. The sign or test to know if the, if, that, if the thing that you're hoping for is just a craving is that if you get it, you'll keep needing more of it to get the same effect. So for instance, if you crave love, if you ever get it, you'll need more love. If you crave career advancement, if you get it, you're going to say, I need something else. I need more career advancement. It might be a craving. If you never achieve it, and you're always going to get it, try to get it, and you, you're always disappointed, or if you get it, and it need, it's not enough. Moses is discouraged here. And you and I will be this, just as discouraged, just as dis, discontented, as long as we misremember the past, wrongfully hope in the future, because we're looking for happiness that can't be achieved through that process. You, you, you can't get it, and it will never come to you. That's the core. That's the essence of our discontentment. Last point. All right. I just detailed, hopefully for you all, the, the inner workings of my heart right now, your heart, what might heal us. Our text isn't explicit right now. It's not explicit, but I do believe that it is here. And I think it's, it's, it's all over it. That as wrong as Moses is about himself, as wrong as the Israelites are about themselves, about God, God in this moment does not abandon them or him. 
And I've, I've been getting this week endless encouragement. That as great as a leader Moses was, he was discouraged. He was hurting, which means, guess what? When you are discouraged, you're allowed to be. It creates room for us. If, if he can be discouraged, you can be discouraged. If he can lash out at God wrongfully and God doesn't leave him, it means, guess what? God can take that too from you. God never walks away. As harsh as Moses is here, as complain as voices, look at verse 16. The Lord said to Moses. He didn't say, I'm going to cancel you. He didn't say, I'm done with you. He didn't say, you know, how dare you question me? The very first thing he does is he, gives a, he doesn't actually even respond necessarily to the complaint. He just says, you know what? I'm going to practically care for you. Bring me 70 of Israel's elders. He creates a practical paradigm to help the burden for Moses. And then look at the next verse, verse 17. I will come down. I'm not just going to practically help you. Moses, you're having such a bad day. I see what's going on. I'm going to come down and be with you. I'm going to dwell with you. And it's really hard for us to know what that might look like, but we have a further answer. We know what this, what this looks like in the long run because there was one who came down who was greater than Moses. Hebrews 3 says this. Go to Hebrews 3 and it says, fix your eyes, fix your thoughts on Jesus who is of a greater honor than Moses. I think what the Hebrew writer is saying is this. Moses liberated the oppressed. Jesus liberated the oppressed. Moses is, the, is, is pointing to Jesus, who is the greater Moses, who doesn't just get us out of human bondage in a particular time and moment in history. He gets us out of the cosmic bonds of sin and death. And there's, there's so many parallels. Like Moses, Jesus was surrounded by people who weren't faith, faithful. Moses had these people complaining about food. Jesus had his disciples who couldn't stay awake. Falling, you know, their issue was sleep. Like Moses, he calls everybody around him wicked and depraved. But Moses does it to blame God. Jesus does it for the reason for salvation. So go back through our ingredients, right? How does Jesus protect us from blindness? Because he looks at us and says, I have to die for you. And that means, as wronged as you've been in life, we've all been wronged here, you've wronged too. And he had to die for that. Which pauses our, our, our hearts that want to point at other people and be defensive. It keeps us from that blindness. That some of the cracks happen in our own self-protection module because he had to die for you. But look at how's it self-pity. He wanted to die for you. Which means as, as, when you feel right now not loved, you're loved. When you feel forgotten right now, it couldn't be farther from the truth. You're, you, have not, you are not forgotten. What this is saying to us Is that God is with us through Jesus? He had to die for you, but He wanted to die for you. And then, therefore, when you get this concept of, of saying, Well, you know, I don't believe God's actually with me because look at how my life's going, look how bad it is. Jesus says, I am with you always. 
Moses, in this text, he has no more patience for his people. Jesus has infinite patience for his people. Moses desires to be killed, so he no longer has the burden of the people around him. Jesus desires to be killed so that he could bear the burdens of the people around him. Moses might not have been willing to, to, to burden himself with these people anymore, but Jesus certainly was. I mean, you can go through every phrase. Look at the, I, I'm just looking at this one. Verse 12, did I conceive of these people? Moses is saying, I didn't conceive of these people. Jesus says, yeah, you know what? I did from the beginning of time, and I'm here to save them. Friends, the only thing left for us is will we accept this? Will we take this into the core of our being? Will you cast your burdens on him? Will you stop misremembering the past and wrongfully hoping in the future? Because I think there's a lot of burdens that Moses thought he had to bear and he didn't have to bear them. What burdens are you holding right now that you were never asked to hold? Moses thought that he had to carry for these people. He wasn't the savior of these people. God was. He wasn't responsible for these people. God was. He thought he had to carry the burden, but he never was asked to. What might you today, right now, you think you're supposed to be carrying that you were never asked to? Is it your reputation? Is it the fact that you want other people to think you're great? Is it the sense of self that you feel like you're, I'm, a, I'm a good person? You were never asked to carry those things about yourself. And until you cast those things on the only one who can carry all your burdens, we will continue to be discouraged. Because nothing else will ever be enough. But if you have him, you might not have a 401k. You might not be remembered after this life. You might not go down in history the way you want to go down. But if you have him, all the other burdens become lighter. And if you can move that from just an intellectual concept into the core of your heart, you will finally be free. That's the great irony. These people are actually free right now. They got out of Egypt. They weren't free because they hadn't put him at the core of their hearts. But you can right now. If you're not a Christian right now, it's, it's really simple. There's a prayer in our bulletin where you could just start even more simply saying, Lord, I want to believe. Help my unbelief. God, help me explore what this would look like to actually cast my burdens on you. If you are a Christian, then we need to move this from our head into our hearts. We need to stop misremembering and, and, and remembering the, past, the future too much. Make this real. Because when it comes real, you know what happens? The Holy Spirit comes down. Go back to our text. Look at the last thing that happens here. I will come down and I will take some of the power of the Spirit that is on you and put it on them. There's a lot of people that say they want the Holy Spirit. This is telling us if you want the Holy Spirit in your life, there's not, there is no reason to brag. There's no reason to be showy. If you have the Spirit, it means you bear other people's burdens. It's the last phrase. The Spirit we put on you, and they will share the burden of the people. How do you know you have the Spirit in your life? You're no longer looking at yourself. You're bearing other people's burdens. You're willing to move out and care for the people. Where? In this church, outside this church, all around the church. That's what's promised to us. The miracle of the Holy Spirit is here. It's available to us in Jesus. And it might not be the miracle that you think you, you want, but I promise you it's the miracle that we all need that changes us. The better Moses is here. Cast your cares on him. And if you do, there is perpetual joy ever after. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
Thank you for being a God who comes to the discouraged. Thank you for putting people in the Bible who are pillars of the faith, and yet they get to the deepest, darkest spaces, and it creates space for us. If we're here thinking we're not viable because of what we've thought or who we are and what we've done, I pray that we see there's so much space for us. There's grace ever after. You were giving, you were giving that to Moses because the fullness of how you were going to come down finally happened in the person of Jesus who bore all the burdens for us. I pray we cast our cares on him. I pray that we would be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we could care for others. Praise things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.